I'm going to let you into a little secret this morning. I, um, I'm not much of a poker player. There, I've said it. It's just, it's just true. It's not that I don't understand the game. It's that I like money, right? Better said, I, I don't like to lose money. So I'm just not that much of a poker player. But, but I will admit uh, that sometimes it's really fun to watch other people play poker. Uh, there's this thing called the World Poker Tour, and you can watch like professional poker players play. And I, I wouldn't spend lots of time watching poker being played, but, but there, is, there is sort of this moment, right, when a, when a player is going to decide whether or not they're going to go all in. Like, what are they going to decide? Are they going to go whole hog, right? Like, whole kit and caboodle, right? It's that, it's that moment where they have to decide if they've been dealt the best hand. There is, a, there is a moment where you can see that player pushing the chips slowly across the table into the pot. And in those moments, the announcers, I don't know how you get this job, by the way, how you become an announcer for the World Poker Tour, but, but the announcers, right, they, they literally start amping up all of their language because we're all wondering the same thing. What's going to happen next? As they push literally thousands of dollars into the center of the table, what happens next? What happens when they're all in? Well, friends, this is the, the final week of our stewardship series called Radically Generous, a series really designed for our own shaping in Christ-likeness as we wrestle with what is possibly the root of evil in American Christianity as we deal with money and wealth. And more specifically, we've been wrestling with our heart's posture towards money and wealth, right? Letting Jesus teach us, reminding ourselves that Jesus speaks about money and wealth about 25% of the time, not, not to tell us that money is evil, but rather that it has a great gravitational pull on our heart. And so we then, as we follow Jesus, we need to pay attention to what it is that money and wealth does to our hearts. And friends, we've been there over the course of the last two weeks, thinking about our finance, but also thinking about how we steward back our, our time and our talents. But today, today is the day when we go all in, right? Today is whole hog day. This is the day we put in the kit and the caboodle. This is the day when we decidedly and thoroughly give back to God what is properly his, right? Today is the day when we prayerfully commit to our financial giving for 2024, when we give that over to the Lord, prayerfully commit to how it is we're gonna use our time and our treasures for the sake of the mission and the ministry through Holy Cross. Today is the day, friends, when we're invited actually to go all in. And what does it mean, what does it mean to go all in? Again, I should pause uh, briefly this morning to say thank you to those of you who continue to call me, continue to send me email about this particular series as you wrestle with what the scriptures have to say. And again, today we'll find ourselves probably wrestling with what it means to be all in, what it means to be whole hog, what it means to put the whole kit and caboodle in, what it means to slide all of the chips to the center of the table. 
You know, the book of Acts, interestingly, the book of Acts gives us a clear picture of what life was like for the early Christian communities. What life was like for those early disciples as they lived out their faith in Christ Jesus, both as their Savior and their Lord. What it meant to live out their life as Jesus is one who saves them from their sin, but also as Lord rules their life. The book of Acts gives us a picture of what it's like to to be disciples whose lives are oriented around the words and the ways of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to let those early disciples in the book of Acts help us understand what it means then to be all in. So I want you to grab a Bible, hopefully the one that you brought with you. Uh, If you didn't bring yours with you, that's fine. We provide one for you. And this morning, I want to go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts chapter 4. Now, some of you are saying, that's not the passage that we read earlier. Sean was reading from Romans chapter 12. You're right, and I promise that we'll get there. But before we do, we got to look at the book of Acts chapter 4. So book of Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 32. The book of Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Now, as always, before we can address the text, we have to first address the what? The context, correct. So quickly, the book of Acts begins with Jesus' ascension into heaven and the disciples staring into that heaven, just watching as Jesus disappears into a cloud. And they stand there looking into heaven until two messengers of the Lord speak to them. The two messengers of the Lord say this, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go. So in other words, the messengers are basically saying, hey, hey, stop looking into the sky and get busy living the life that Jesus has been teaching over the last three years. Like, stop looking. He's going to come back. Don't worry. Just start living the life that Jesus has been teaching about over the course of the last three years. And so go, 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 get on, get, get moving. It's time to go all in, the messengers are saying. When we get to Acts chapter 2, and God makes good on his promise to pour out his Holy Spirit on those early disciples, it's a great story, complete with an indoor windstorm and hair that is aflame, right? It's a, it's a great story. Peter, of course, preaches in a way that we see 3,000 people come to faith, So as the book of Acts begins, it sounds amazing, actually, an opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit, an opportunity to go out and proclaim the things of Jesus, an opportunity to watch thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to faith. I mean, Luke records, actually, at the end of chapter 2, he says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I mean, it just sounds glorious. But the context, the context of chapter four specifically, also reminds us of the potential danger for the follower of Jesus. You see, at the beginning of chapter four, Peter and John are arrested and they're brought before the Jewish high council where they are repeatedly questioned about their proclamation of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And there in Acts chapter 4, we're told that the council couldn't punish them. And here's why. Because the crowd was praising God. Those early believers, Peter and John and the rest of them, would go on to pray this in the middle of chapter 4. They say, Lord, 
We pray that you would enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So we have to get the picture here, right? At the beginning of the book of Acts, these early disciples, they were both proclaiming the words of Jesus, but they were also living the ways of Jesus. There in chapter 2, beginning a daily rhythm of prayer and fellowship and worship and the selling of their possessions for the needs of the poor. They weren't only proclaiming Jesus, they were living the ways of Jesus. And specifically, we'll see here in just a minute, living this radical generosity. And so let's look at it. Chapter 4, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And these few short verses in Acts 4, this is what it looks like to live whole hog, to put in the whole kit and caboodle, right? This is what it looks like to live all in. Now, there is a bunch to say about these few verses. And so, uh, let me start here. I've had conversations uh, with well-meaning members, actually, who have dismissed this narrative and others like it. Uh, they simply dismiss the story out of hand because, and I quote, this smells like socialism. And because it smells like socialism, guess what? We just toss it out. Well, friends, let me, I'm going to be really clear, right, that this narrative and others like it God's economy, God's economy is not socialism, but, there's a big but, it does address and engage in social issues. God's economy is not socialism, but it does address and it does engage social issues. Secondly, what's striking here in these few short verses is a really small phrase that I think if we're not careful, we run just right over it without much thought. So let's look again at the end of verse 33. It says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Like if that's my Bible, I'm, I'm underlining that, right? I'm highlighting that, I'm circling that, right? I love it. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. In other words, everything that we read in this passage, everything else hinges on this. It hinges on God's grace powerfully at work in them. So listen, church, look, look up here for a second, right? Radical generosity is rooted generosity. And it's rooted in the one who is radically generous. 
let me say it again, radical generosity, right? It's a rooted generosity, and it's rooted specifically in the one who is radically generous. You see, when our, when our roots, when our roots are in Christ and in his grace and in his mercy, then our fruit or the fruit of our life will be one of radical generosity. We'll be radically generous with our finances, with our possessions, with our intellect, with our skill, with our relationships. Friends, when we are rooted in Christ, when you are rooted in the one who gave up everything, who knew that his life was not his own, when we are rooted in him, our lives will begin to look more and more like his. Everything that's said here in Acts chapter 4, 32 and following hinges on God's grace powerfully at work in them. That's how, actually, those early Christians in Acts claimed that the possessions they had were not their own. They understood that Christ's life was not his own. St. Paul would get a hold of this thought in what is thought to be kind of an early Christian creed in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this, he says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's basically saying Christ had everything. He had everything. But in order for you to have everything, he had to become nothing. He had to give away everything and become obedient even to death. He had to give away his life See, Christ gave away his life at his Father's will so that you and I, you and I, would no longer be in need. That we, in the work of the cross and the empty tomb, we can know that we have everything. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have life after death. We have complete and total healing. This, this grace is powerfully at work in the Christian community at Acts. See, these early Christians understood and lived the truth of God's grace. Or the the ancient praise in Psalm 145, the psalmist says, You, Lord, you open up your hand and you satisfy every living thing. In other words, those early Christians are living knowing that the Lord, the Lord, is in charge of all things, that everything in the earth is his, the world and all who live in it. They're resting in in his grace, and because that grace is powerfully at work in the early church, then they begin to live lives that are all in, whole hog, whole kit and caboodle. They're pushing all the chips to the middle of the table because the generosity of these early Christians is a rooted generosity, rooted in the one who was radically generous, rooted in grace and in mercy. We're to look at this text again. We might say that the text is telling us that we should give everything we possess away. Like, get rid of all that you have. It's not saying that. It's not suggesting that we should get rid of all 
of our things. It's not saying we should be getting rid of all of our possessions or all of our money. It is, it is saying that we should be radically generous and it is saying that we should be on the lookout for needs in our community so that we can use our resources to bring compassion and care to those needs. But this text isn't saying, and this is important, the text isn't saying give away the whole of your possessions. But rather, the text is saying when you give, give with your whole heart. If you want to be all in, whole hog, whole kit and caboodle, if you want to push all the chips to the center of your table, it's not about giving everything that you have, but it's about giving with your whole heart. In fact, the, um, the narrative that follows this text in Acts chapter 5 is, uh, when you read it, it's a little frightening, honestly, uh, and, and rightly so. It's a story about a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they had it in their hearts to sell a piece of their property and then to take those proceeds and lay them at the apostles' feet for the work of care and compassion in the world. But at some point between the selling of that property and the bringing of the money to the apostles, Ananias, in complete knowledge of his wife Sapphira, decides to keep a little bit of that money for themselves. And so they present the remainder of that money ultimately to the apostles. And Peter acknowledges that money. And then Peter says this. He says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money which you received from the land? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And then we read, when Ananias heard this, He fell down dead. Oh, that might be the sound he made. Now, what's frightening is Sapphira comes, and the apostles ask her, hey, was that sum of money all the money that you had from the sale of your piece of property? And what does she say? She says, yes. What do you think happens to her? She falls down dead. Acts chapter 5, just uplifting, isn't it? Here's the point, though. Here's the point. It's not, it's not a story that Ananias and Sapphira didn't sell everything of theirs. They didn't sell all of their property. They sold a piece of their property. They had decided to give in a particular way, a piece of property. And they had it in their heart to give it to the apostles' feet. But at some point, between the actual selling of it And the giving of it, their heart was divided. And so when they gave to the apostles, they gave not with their whole heart, but only a part of it. To be all in is to give with your whole heart. To be all in is to give with your whole heart. Uh, This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart. So to be all in, friends, isn't about selling everything that you have or about giving everything you have. When we steward back 0.5% or 3% or 6% or 10% or more than that, it's not about how much but about your whole 
heart. My giving with my whole heart. You know, we've, we've said this a lot, but when you give to Holy Cross, you don't actually give to Holy Cross, you give through her. I said this in a letter that I recently sent, that your giving, right, your giving through Holy Cross allows us to support incredible ministry partners, like love your neighbor or hand to hand. Right? It allows us to distribute thousands of pounds of food to our neighbors who are living with food insecurity. It allows us to support Nora and Leon in their continued work in Haiti, enables us to move closer as a church to greater first fruit giving so that we as a church are tithing away that which we receive. It enables us actually to partner with other local Lutheran churches to plant more churches in the greater Grand Rapids area. It enables us to support more international ministries whose goal is to multiply disciples and plant churches. When you give and give through Holy Cross, it enables us to do all of those things. So friends, it is time to go whole hog, right? To put the whole kit and caboodle in. It's time to go all in, to push all the chips across the table. It's to be with our whole heart. As I've said, contribution is not just about finances. It is also about our skills and our talents. That's what Paul was talking about in that reading that Sean read earlier. Paul says at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, right? There it is again. St. Paul is about to give us a whole list of things that we're to do with our time and our skills and our talent, but he's not going to do that apart from the view of God's mercy. We, we can't actually be generous unless we are rooted in the one who was generous. St. Paul, even in Romans chapter 12, wants us to see that everything he's going to talk about is rooted in the mercy of the Lord in his steadfast love and his acts of forgiveness to individuals and nations. So Paul's saying, if we're rooted in that, rooted in Christ and his mercy, then he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, friends, is your true and proper worship. It's really interesting language from Paul, drawing on kind of the cultic practices of Israel, those hourly and daily and seasonal sacrifices at the temple. He's suggesting that because of God's mercy, because of his grace so powerfully at work in us, then we're to offer our whole selves to the Lord daily and weekly and seasonally. Essentially saying we're to offer our whole selves to the Lord all the time. Or the language that we've been using in this series, that we are to be radically generous in our living, not only today, but every day. And then Paul goes on, he says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, St. Paul, he's warning his readers, he's warning you and he's warning me that we need to pay attention to how the world disciples us when it comes to our stewardship of time and talent and treasure. Be 
careful and pay attention to what the world says about money and wealth and time and talent, but rather to pay attention to what God's transformative and eternal Word says. Paul's encouraging us to come back to the words and the ways of Jesus on the regular so that we can know and live out this abundant life. If we were to read the remainder of Romans chapter 12, we'd see Paul go on to talk about contributing these gifts, your skills and your intellect, your talents, all for the betterment of the body of Christ and for the world. You know, there's this moment in the World Poker Tour when someone goes all in, when they push all of the chips to the pot, resting on the hope that they've been dealt the best hand. Friends, it's time for us as a church to push all the chips in. It's time for us to go whole hog, the whole kit and caboodle. It's time for us to be wholeheartedly in, resting in the knowledge that in Christ, we've been dealt the best hand. And so we commit not only those finances, but our skills and our talents to the work of the Lord. So as we wrap up this series, I'd love to use a prayer from a theologian named John Bailey, early 20th century theologian, as we close our time together. So let's, let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would take this day's life into your keeping, that you would guide all of our thoughts and all of our feelings, direct all of our energies, instruct our minds, sustain our wills, Father, take our hands and give us the skills to serve you. Take our feet and make them quick to do whatever you ask. Take our eyes and keep them fixed on your everlasting beauty. Take our mouths and give us the words to tell others of your love. Make this day and every day a day of obedience, a day of spiritual joy and peace. Make this day and every day's work a little part of the work of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. We agree and we say, amen.